<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. While most people find change uncomfortable, this is where entrepreneurs, innovators, and all-around game changers thrive. Successful disruption is always the ultimate goal. They recognize a sleepy category and figure out how to wake it up. Enter Mab and Stoke, made-to-order customized herbal super tabs that are putting wellness back into our hands, literally. Their CEO and founder, Christina Mace-Turner, has a history of category disruption, and she's breaking the $230 billion supplement industry wide open, one math tab at a time. Of course, we know that wanting to disrupt a category and actually doing it is another thing entirely. Just because you have drive and a good idea doesn't mean you're destined to start the next Uber, Airbnb, or Tesla. It takes a lot of perseverance, tenacity, and grit to go up against the giants and build a brand that not only disrupts, but resonates and rallies a community of loyal customers who will drive revenue. So for this episode of Work Party, we dive into what it takes to be a true disruptor in your industry with the category disruptor herself, Christina. We also get into her career, the lessons learned, building a company from scratch, and how she's taking the guesswork and grind out of amplifying wellness with Matt and Stoke. So let's get right into it. Welcome, Christina, to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank um, you for having me. Of course, of course. So you've been called a consistent category disruptor. And I want to dive <laughs> into the why behind that statement by taking a look behind the curtain of your entire career history, which has been really multifaceted. So starting kind of in the beginning, in, in late 2007, you applied for a job at Apple to build their new global business affairs division. And after nine interviews, got the job and then spent the next three years creating the business and marketing infrastructure while overseeing many beloved launches from the App Store to the iPhone. Can you talk us through your approach at Apple and your strategy behind those launches and how it sort of inspired you as the entrepreneur you are today? Wow. Okay. Well, 
I wish I could say it was incredibly easy, but of course it wasn't. Um, you know, my approach at Apple was a funny one because I really was walking into a situation where the company had never had a business affairs function and never needed one. And they were instead in this place where they had just launched, you know, their second, they were just about to launch their second iPhone. They were really into content all of a sudden. And uh, they were looking for someone to keep them sort of focused on how do they work with these partners and still stick with their primary business, which was selling iPhones. Over the time that I was there, of course, that that turned into iPads and um, and the App Store and and all sorts of stuff. But the the fundamental way that I dealt with everything there, because honestly, a lot of the time I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I was just figuring it out on the go, which is okay, by the way. I think that happens in a lot of businesses, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the truth. Um, but my approach was was really to create solutions that were tailored to the actual needs of the company versus, you know, how someone might imagine a business affairs team should function. And, and that wouldn't have really been appropriate for Apple. You know, I also went on and, and then led a content strategy on their planning team. And similarly, it was finding the right type of strategy to meet the company's needs. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, you know, I've had friends that have done Apple and Nike and gone through those experiences. Did you find that having those years there helped you in what you're doing now? Um, did it teach you things you, you did want to do, what you didn't want to do when you kind of were able to start your own thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a very formative experience for me. Honestly, I hadn't had that much professional experience before I even went there. Um, so I learned a lot of incredible stuff there. I probably learned some bad habits too, but it was sort of a magical time and place to be. And um, yeah, there's almost nothing that I do that I don't relate back to that experience and other for, you know formative things that have happened in my life. But it was just incredibly rich and instructive. And I had a lot of freedom to create what I felt was needed there. And so that really put me to the test. And it was incredibly difficult, but very worthwhile. And so you flipped from one disruptive company, Apple, to another disruptive company, Flipboard. And you ran their partnerships team, growing their active users from 2 million to 90 million. So how did you apply a disruptive mindset to this role to grow the platform to that size? And can you talk about that transition from Apple to Flipboard? Yeah, yeah. So the first part of your question is, what was the strategy for Flipboard? And I would say the strategy was totally my strategy that I had at Apple as well when dealing with partners is that anytime you want to do something really disruptive with a partner, do whatever you can to get the highest profile, most powerful partner in the world. And, you know, don't give up until you get them. When I was at Apple, I actually spent a year and a half trying to sway Disney to work with us and give us their assets, essentially. Well, I guess I can't really talk about the things that we did together too specifically, but I would say it took me about a year and a half to warm them up. And once Disney started to agree to work with us in a certain way, everybody else fell in line. And that's always been my experience. And so at Flipboard, similarly, um, you know, if you're not familiar with Flipboard or for those who aren't, it's a, like an RSS reader, but it aggregates any feed you know, on the internet that you can read all in one place and turns it into this digital magazine. 
And so I felt like the company we needed to be partnered with was the New York Times. And of course, they were the most resistant company out there. And and most of the media companies were, you know, understandably uh, anxious about working with us. But the trick with Flipboard was definitely that partnership. And after that happened and another key partnership uh, that I did with Hearst, those things and Condé Nast, like that just really opened up everybody else. And, And that's how we did it. And obviously getting those huge partnerships over the line requires some really strong, you know, technique and sales technique and being able to explain and communicate clearly. How did you learn those skills and be able to effectively communicate something that was really never done before to these massive companies? Yeah, that's a great question. I think anybody who really has spent time working with me or knows me well knows I have a really hard time not just being myself. You know, some people can go out there and they have a pitch and that's the pitch and they are getting with the program. I tend to be more um, more excited and genuinely attached to the ideas that I want to convey to other people. And so it was easy in a sense because I was just saying the things that I thought were amazing about Flipboard. Um, it's the same way that I, you know, convince people to work with Apple, though it was easier to do getting to your earlier question, because Apple is this giant company everybody wanted to work with. But really, I felt that the power of just being able to be vulnerable and not be a perfect person and come in looking perfect even or, or saying the perfect things, that actually makes people a lot more comfortable. Like, I don't think most people want to feel sold to. I certainly don't. And, and I, I wouldn't even know how. I agree with that. I think that's really true. And honestly, that's sort of my, my way of doing things as well is like, and also if you truly believe in what you're talking about, it makes it much, much easier. Your business is more than the goods you sell or the services you provide. It's the heart of the economy. That's why I'm teaming up with MasterCard to support entrepreneurs by sharing my tips and advice to help their local businesses. Like identifying which part of your industry is prime for disruptive innovation. The ability to identify white spaces in business is a tough but necessary skill to master. If you take a scan of today's top entrepreneurs, you'll notice that they have achieved success by isolating a white space in a given industry and then creating a business that disrupted said industry and filled said white space. Take my entrepreneurial journey, for example. I recognize a gap in conversations, resources, events, and communities for female millennial entrepreneurs and responded with a business idea that would set out to disrupt the events and conference space altogether. And honestly, that's where Create and Cultivate was born. There was nothing out there that I looked, felt, or related to as a female entrepreneur, so I decided to create it. My number one tip to achieve your own version of disruptive innovation is simple. Immerse yourself in the industry you're seeking to disrupt. Familiarize yourself with the top trusted news sources in that industry and consume them daily. Study up on consumer behavior trends within that industry, learn about that industry's key players, and overall aim to become an expert in all things related to that industry. Education is key here, and it's an ongoing journey. For more tools and resources, go to mastercard.us slash mainstreetrecovery. mastercard.us slash mainstreetrecovery. Together, we can start something priceless. 
Hi, I'm Pia Barangini, the creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. So, okay, cut to your at all these different companies, startups, legacy brands, all of those different things. And then you go on to co-found and serve as CEO of the non-toxic personal care brand, True Botanicals, which I love. Oh, um, thank you. Talk us through that transition and change and, and why you decided to like uproot what I assume is a very successful corporate career to then going to start yeah. something new. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, it's interesting because it gets to what you asked in the previous question, you know, about how is it that, that you really sell things into people or, or get other people excited about new ideas. And, you know, with uh, True Botanicals, it was actually initially a company called True Nature Botanicals that a neighbor of mine uh, was running out of a little strip mall in, in Mill Valley, California. And, um, you know, I got to know her and she later became my business partner. But uh, when I tried her products, she told me, hey, you know, these products don't have any toxins. You should really give them a try. They're much better than, you know, the creme de la mer that you're using that you think is so amazing. And so because I liked her, I did give them a try. And she was right. They really were better. And so that just made me curious how it was that... um, for less money, they could produce something that was better than this product that that I had been spending a lot of money on for many years that was more efficacious, that didn't have toxins. And it just made me question overall a set of assumptions that I think a lot of us have, which is that one, the more we pay for something, the more valuable it is. And two, that companies and brands that we love are necessarily taking care of us when they give us personal care products. And, and that we don't assume that there are toxins in there that would actually be um, dangerous to us or not beneficial to our health. I think there is more of an awareness about that now. But at the time uh, that I started True Botanicals, so what I did was I, I, you know, I financed the purchase of, of True Nature Botanicals and we turned it into True Botanicals. We relaunched the products, we rebranded them, and most importantly, you know, I saw an opportunity to take what was like a cottage industry and turn it into something that was a little bit more accessible at scale. Um, something I had spent a lot of time doing again in my time at Apple with with various companies. And so, you know, we took this idea of a quiz, which at the time, you know, you see them everywhere now. But at the time, that sort of gaming dynamic of building into the technology experience, a quiz where you didn't have to think as much, but instead, you know, you came out with a set of results that were the products that were right for your skin type. That was a big deal then. And, um, you know, companies like Birchbox had done them with sort of like categories of cosmetics and stuff. And Ipsy, I think, had maybe done one. But other than that, there wasn't anything else in the market. So that's, that was sort of my idea was to personalize the experience of purchasing these products and then 
educate people about what the products really were. We had done clinical studies as well that that proved that these products were efficacious. And then, um, frankly, people had such great results with the products that the community itself, you know, started to build by word of mouth. And that was how it went. And I raised money. That helps too. Yeah. So at the time when you kind of came in, was it completely self-funded business? And then you came in, you redid the strategy. Yeah, it was, it had been, actually, it was a legacy business that had been like, uh, my, my former business partner had been in business with somebody else, you know, for like seven years and they had split up the business. And so there were just basically what was left were these like great products and they were really great and they were selling them online, but in, you know, like a very 1.0 type of e-commerce experience, I guess that's the best way to describe it. And so we modernized it and created an experience online that people would enjoy we brought in amazing creative teams. Um, I brought in Inez and Binud as both advisors and investors and creatives, and their contribution, I think, really elevated the brand. We also you know, did a lot of, of cool things, marketing overall, that I think made us stand out from what had previously been always a, a cottage industry of of natural product makers. Um, we just didn't see ourselves that way. And so our customers, I think, came to not see us that way as well. Absolutely. And so now you're an entrepreneur. Can you talk to us about that transition um, and how you handled it, what you learned along the way? And did you fall in love with it? Assumably you did because you've gone on to start other companies. But yeah. um, can you tell us a little bit about that transition? Because I think a lot of the Create and Cultivate community, we find currently have a corporate job, um, but are jonesing to start their own thing. So I think, you know, hearing someone who's done that, who's had this corporate successful career and then now has taken the leap, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your learnings from that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I don't think I could have done the things that I've done um, at either True Botanicals or with Mab and Stoke if I hadn't made a stop first at Flipboard. Um, You know, that company was successful in large part because Mike McHugh, the founder of that company, had a very strong vision for the product and what was possible. And while over time the market has changed, they have over 100 million users. And I learned a lot about running a startup by going there. And it is very different from a traditional corporate environment, even one like Apple, which was a relatively flat and non-hierarchical organization. So. It's kind of, I mean, it's a, being an entrepreneur for anybody who's done it. It's some form of madness, I guess. I definitely had that itch and I love making things. Um, so, so I guess, you know, if you can let go of the consistency of a paycheck and the fear of failure, then it's outrageously rewarding, right? I mean, you get to make things that don't exist and share them with other people and hopefully make a positive impact in the world in some small way. But it is definitely, and I talked to a lot of founders uh, about this, you know, it's always like the side conversation at some larger event where, you know, it's like, oh, it's so lonely. It's so hard (laughs) because I feel like, you know, people feel like they need to pretend all the time, like it's amazing. And it is amazing in so many ways, but it is equally difficult. Um, The highs are incredibly high and the lows are very low. 
But, you know, those of us who do it, I think do it because we have a genuine love and belief in, in the things that we're building. And, and while I do know some entrepreneurs who build businesses where they don't really care about the products, I don't get those. Those aren't like really brands. Those are maybe successful business opportunities for some people, but I can't relate to that experience. And, and I've never, you know, that's not the kind of company that I've built. Yeah, same. I, I know, same, same. And I, I totally agree with you. I think there is this like kind of, and it's more of a newer thing, I think in the past couple of years of like entrepreneurship being very sexy and fun and like very glamorous. And like, there are moments of that, but there's also a lot of moments where it's very personal and emotional and can oh, be very yeah. stressful and all, especially right now with everything. So I want to talk about your new game-changing business. So Mab and Stoke. So can you tell us a little bit about Mab and Stoke, the elevator pitch um, and the concept behind it? Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the elevator pitch is what if we could help people feel amazing? You know, after, <laughs> after spending a lot of time uh, at True Botanicals trying to help people look the way they wanted to, um, I felt far more interested in my next venture and doing something to just help people feel amazing. And honestly, my work on True Botan- um, excuse me, on Mab and Stoke really didn't even start as an intention to start a new business. I was more working on myself. I had left True Botanicals. I was completely burnt out and exhausted. I had been working like these crazy 15-hour days and I just I just hadn't been taking care of myself. And so I turned to herbal remedies, which I had been taking since I was a child. My mother made tinctures and stuff like that. And um, I've always been very open to them, but never very uh, disciplined about taking them with a certain, with the type of regularity that people take them to get optimal results. So I decided I'm just going to commit myself to learning, you know, which herbs I should be taking, how much of them I should take, and I'm going to do everything I can to take this as far as I can to feel amazing. That was really what I was looking for. And I did a lot of studying. I met a lot of experts. I love talking to people, you know, with rich experience in these areas and scientists. And um, what I found was within four weeks, honestly, it'll sound crazy, but I felt transformed. I had so much more energy. I was able to sleep through the night. Before that, I had had to try and take all sorts of things. I mean, my bedside was like covered in, you know, various medications and things to help me sleep, to deal with, you know, all sorts of pains, aches and pains. And I just didn't want that in my life anymore. I think, you know, some of that is necessary, but a lot of it, if you, if you take care of yourself proactively and really are more thoughtful about what you put in your body, you can, you can eliminate the need for. And so, um, so anyway, so I had like this huge success taking herbal supplements. I would take them uh, through tinctures or teas and I started blending teas and blending tinctures and infusing the herbs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was very fun. It was like having my own little lab. And when I started to feel better, I naturally wanted to share that with my family and my friends. And so I did the same thing for them. I'd ask them how they were feeling, you know what was going on with them. And then I would blend up uh, specific herbs for their needs. And what I saw was that nobody really stuck with it. They would do it for three days, maybe a week, but not with the consistency that, you know, would really give someone optimal results. So like a scoop here or there of, of adaptogens 
is great. Like it's like great nutrition, but there is a whole other level of how you can feel if you really take the right amount of herbs for you on a daily basis. And that, that was what I experienced. And that was where I realized that I needed to really rethink what the product was like. I mean, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, people have taken these plants in the same way. And it's a very resistant community to innovation, by the way. <laughs> I would say it's not, you know, it, why, why mess with what works? And, and I would say mess with it if people aren't actually using it. Because if it works and no one uses it, then it's not very useful. And so... Um, and so anyway, so I started to really rethink, you know, how could I turn these plants into something that people wanted to take versus had to take? That was really the dynamic I was looking for. And I thought of all the great brands that I've, I've worked with or known and admired from, you know, Apple to Patagonia to Product Red. I don't know if you're familiar with them. You know, they've raised tons of money for people with HIV by helping people feel excited about giving away money. Whereas normally, you know, with philanthropy, that's not how it works. So anyway, um, I was thinking about how can I change this dynamic? And uh, what I started to do was I'm very inspired by Japanese design. And so there is a type of Japanese confectionery called higashi and served in Japanese uh, tea ceremonies. And it smells great. And it's basically like a very beautiful sugar cube. And so what I did was I got some higashi molds and I started blending herbs with sugar and forming them in these little molds. And, you know, it was incredibly time consuming, but I gave them to first my husband and then, you know, to a bunch of friends. And pretty soon, one, people were feeling amazing, but two, I couldn't keep up with demand because this was like an incredibly manual process. <laughs> but I saw that people, it really resonated with people and adoption, daily adoption became um, very, very strong and people built rituals around this little object. Now they were really beautiful designs like lotus flowers and stuff. And that was part of the experience as well. And so, so that's how it really started. And then, you know, that's where I had that moment. I was like, oh, the world needs this. I just need to figure out how to do it at scale. And, and that's, how, that's how it went. Yeah, and I, you know, I've been able to try it. And it is, like, as someone who hates taking vitamins and taking, like, a million different pills or, like, you need this and that, it is really nice to have this kind of fun little ritual um, that, you know, it's, it's beautiful. The packaging is beautiful and it feels very customized. So I guess the question becomes, how do you customize that scale? And how are you guys looking to disrupt that market? Because I do think customization, to your point, is the future. You know, no one wants to just buy whatever else is buying. They want something for them. So how do you customize that scale? Yeah, it's a great question because, I mean, customize is... It's relative. We are all so much more alike than we are different. I, I really do think that's true. And certainly when it comes to herbs, there's a lot of crossover between what I would need and what you would need um, versus your friend or neighbor or someone you've never met. And so there are, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of medicinal herbs in the world. And a plant, not to get too detailed about it, but a plant has, you know, hundreds of different what are called actions. You know, it has affinity 
for your body systems and uh, each herb does different things. People have historically used it for different reasons. And so there's a lot of flexibility. And so we worked with one of the world's leading phytochemists. Um, this was a very important piece. And by the way, I could not have done this without his help. Uh, he's just really incredible. His name is Kevin Spellman. Um, and, and also equally amazing person who does all the sourcing of our herbs named Bill Chiaffi, and he had been at Gaia for over 20 years. And the reason I mentioned them both is, uh, one, because you can't create anything innovative, customized, or otherwise without like a real team of people who are putting their brains to work on the problem set. But basically, you know, Kevin was able to help me understand the scope of what each plant we use uh, could serve for our customers. And Bill was able to assure that the levels of therapeutic compounds in the plants that we're using were the appropriate levels for the types of actions we were addressing, whether it was energy or sleep or brain fog. I don't know if that's too detailed, but, but just to, because you asked the question. So to get back to customization, what we do is we listen to people's problems or goals. Um, you could call them problems, but we call them goals in terms of wellness and take in some basic information about them. And then we have a baseline of many, many different blends that we have used with, you know, we've had a lot of beta testers and customers at this point. So we have a baseline of blends that we start with, with uh, different customers, depending on what they tell us. And then depending on how they feel, we tweak that blend. And so, you know, while one person might need a very small amount of ashwagandha, for example, to regulate their sleep, another person might need three times as much. And so what we do is, you know, there's always some kind of baseline and that's like a pretty large set of, of blends at this point. And then we modify them based on the feedback and needs of our customers. And, and that's how we customize. It's actually pretty doable. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And I think it is the future. So being able to jump on top of that now is really, really great. Um, what are some of your favorite herbs, just out of curiosity? Like, what's in your blend? <laughs> okay, I'm obsessed with lion's mane. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever had lion's mane? I don't it's know in if it's my in mix. Your, okay, it's so good. So lion's mane is this amazing neuroprotective uh, mushroom. It's very beautiful, but there's been a lot of research done and... Um, and people use lion's mane for all sorts of reasons. Actually, there's a lot of Alzheimer's research going on right now. But, but the theory is, is that lion's mane, um, you know, improves circulation to your brain. And it helps you focus. And if you have brain fog or you're over the age of 40, you should be taking lion's mane every day, in my opinion. I just think it's like a miracle uh, plant. And so lion's mane is at the top of the list. I also, I love astragalus. I think astragalus is just so amazing because it's a wonderful adaptogen. So it's very immune supportive, but it really helps to, it's an energizing adaptogen. So it's more energetic than, than some of the other ones like ashwagandha is more calming, but astragalus is very energizing as well. I guess I'm, I'm on a theme of energy, mental and physical energy for myself. <laughs> and so, so it, it's, it helps your body uh, regulate your stress response. It helps modulate your stress response. So it's just, it's just an incredible plant. So, okay, so that's lion's mane, astragalus. And then I'll give you a third, which is, of course, ashwagandha. 
Because honestly, ashwagandha, I had no idea. It's like, you know, it's like herbal Xanax. It's really amazing. <laughs> and, and I would rather, you know, have a, a plant than a Xanax. So when you need to calm down, we make these calm Mab tabs that people are really into. If you just want to chill out, taking like a solid dose of ashwagandha in the near term, like, you know, within 20 minutes can help you feel really calm. But taken every day, it will actually help regulate your sleep. And so it just depends on what you need, um, how you would take it and, and how much. I, yes, I think those are all in mine. Oh, <laughs> that's really? Awesome. Yeah, we have the same, we have the same needs. Yes, um, we do. So tell us about some of the challenges you've had in starting um, the company and some of the lessons that you've learned early on. Yeah, let's see. Well, one of the challenges I never anticipated was, believe it or not, it is incredibly difficult to make a tablet. This is something I guess everybody in the pharma industry knows, but I had no idea. So I thought it would be incredibly easy to just, you know, if, if I was able to make these um, higashi by hand in my kitchen, I figured a tablet press would be a fantastic way to create MabTabs. And it has been. But I would say it took us a solid nine months to figure out exactly how to do it so that they would still dissolve um, and not turn into little hockey pucks or not fall apart. That was a big challenge. But we figured it out. And, and you know, that's why I never really worry about people copying what we've done because it's just really hard to do. <laughs> um, and so uh, let's see, what other challenges? Well, raising money is always a challenge. I think it's a challenge for everyone, even people I know who have raised hundreds of millions of dollars dread fundraising. And anybody who says that they don't is not telling the truth. They're just getting ready to go out and pitch. So raising money was definitely a challenge. Um, but you know, it's important because if you can't sell your idea into investors, probably either not articulated strong enough or um, it's not quite ready. Like you have to be able to convince at least a few people to give you money. And I, I think that's, I just personally believe that. And the market is biased against all sorts of people. It's biased against women. You can see in the data, it's, it's especially biased against people of color. Aside from that, like, you know, you want to show that there's some early interest, like early product market fit. And um, people thought I was nuts wanting to do this. Uh, and so I didn't anticipate that it would be challenging to raise money. But at first, it, it, it was. Mm. But then we did. So that yeah. was good. And do you disclose how much you raised? No, I haven't. And, um, but, you know, over a couple million dollars, not a lot. Well, and when you're so, starting a business that requires such, you know, Figuring out the manufacturing and the all the yeah. things that go into it, I can't imagine self-funding as something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a lot. I mean, you know, I think one of the other really hard things about this is when you don't have a lot of money, and it's funny because like a few million dollars sounds like a lot of money, and in many contexts, it's an outrageous amount of money. But as you just pointed out, when you're doing all of your product development and packaging and design and brand building, et cetera, it gets very expensive very fast. But the other thing that's really hard is because this was a new kind of product, getting the taste right was really mm -hmm. hard mm -hmm. because herbs are very bitter. And so there's a reason why, like one Mab tab, if you have nine ingredients in your Mab tab, that's equivalent to nine full daily doses 
of those ingredients. And so that's very concentrated. And if you had it on its own, you'd probably think it tasted pretty disgusting. So we really had to keep modifying the taste level of the Mab tabs. And then it was like in the 11th hour, as we were getting towards the end of our beta period and towards launch, I feel like I did this diving catch and um, found finally an ingredient that, that really blocks the bitterness of uh, most herbs. And so that was like, that's why Mad Tabs now taste good. But, you know, early days with like seed investors, I, I'll never forget my horror of giving this one uh, investor a very, very strongly bitter tasting Mad Tab, which instead of putting it in a glass of water, he dropped it in a, in a little teacup of espresso. <laughs> and the pain of watching him drink it, it was, it was terrible. But it was funny. But yeah, now they taste good. So, okay. Now let's talk about, you know, being a CEO, we talked about can be lonely and challenging and all these different things. Did you have a mentor throughout your career that you sort of um, got advice from? You know, I never had a mentor. And I, I think that could just be, you know, the fact that I've I've worked traditionally in more male environments. And, um, and I think, you know, people tend to mentor people that they can relate to more. And, and I don't know, I just never really found a mentor. I did. I mean, I did briefly, you know, when I was able to get incredible advice from amazing people. Like I remember, you know, Bill Campbell, you know, spent a bunch of time really helping me early on in my career to think through things. Um, but the people who, were the best mentors for me are really, I think of them as friend tours. I did a, um, a fellowship out of the Aspen Institute with 20 other people, almost, gosh, it's been nine years now. And each of those people is quite accomplished in their own right, but they have been an incredible uh, guidepost for me. So, you know, in anything that I've done professionally since then, and lots of personal ways also, they've really helped me think through how to do it or different options. You know, I have one friend who 100% is responsible for my having been able to raise the money that I did at True Botanicals and, and from Avonstoke as well, just because he's so incredibly smart about doing that stuff um, and took the time to, to teach me how to do it. I think more people, and especially women, you know, really need someone to be honest about how to go about raising money because I don't think anybody understands what it's like until they're out there doing it. And it's so important to have to get a business off the ground. Absolutely. Um, so looking back on your career, what advice would you give your younger self sort of looking into the future? Yeah, I think that my younger self, and it could be that, you know, most of my early professional experience happened at Apple which was a very explosive and chaotic place, as you might imagine. My younger self was very reactive. I try not to be reactive. I don't find that to be very productive. And when I'm starting to, to have that, that feeling, you know, that sort of adrenaline rush of like, oh my God, really? You know, that kind of thing. I know it's like a moment to pause. And I think that that just comes with experience. And that's, the quality I wish my younger self had had more of. Because I think that, you know, when you get too reactive, you really shut other people down and you don't get the full benefit of collaborating with them 
and and appreciating their contributions. I think that's part a side effect of being overly reactive. Um, and you also get defensive. And then when you're defensive, you can't really learn anything. And so, yeah, that's what I would say to my younger self. Okay, so we're going to end with some rapid fire sentence signatures. Are you ready? I'm afraid, but go ahead. Yes. <laughs> the easiest career decision I've ever made. Oh, working at Apple. My biggest professional regret. I once got very publicly enraged with somebody in the workplace, and I have regretted it ever since. Oh. My recipe for success is? Never giving up. When I feel fear, I? Imagine that it's the feeling of excitement. And wellness is? Feeling amazing. Thank you so much for your time. That was wonderful. Yeah, thank you very much, Jacqueline. It was fun. Of course, yeah. I feel like I learned so much. That was that was amazing. I feel like everyone's going to get a lot of great advice from that. Oh, that's um, great. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, and I do. I love the product. Like, I I got my mom on it, too, because I'm oh, like... My mom is, like, a holistic, very into, like, all that stuff, but she takes, like, 4,000 vitamins a day. And yeah. I'm like, Mom, like, you've got to streamline this. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Well, actually, we have two new products coming out, too, so you're going to have to try them. Yay! Um, okay, awesome. Yeah, we have a skin one for Renew, which mm. is like just amazing if if your skin needs something. Although your custom blend has a bunch of things in it that, that are great for your skin already. And for you, we have a focus one coming out in a month. Ooh. So, and that is like, I'm obsessed with that one. So I take my custom in the morning and after lunch when I'm dragging a little bit, I take my custom. I mean, my focus. And it's amazing. I love that. Oh, amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much yeah. for your time. Thank um, and you. talk soon. Yeah. All right. Stay safe. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice. Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.